So fucking good, I should kill you. <laughs> that was one of the most silent clips we've ever had from the movie Big Night. It is one of the choices of uh, our film choices of our guests this afternoon on This Movie Is About You. I am Tom Ernst. We are recording this live in front of a loud and crazy audience of one. <laughs> but yes, loud and crazy, that... That audience is. And you do have a chance to win a prize whether you're listening on air or here. Uh, we're going to jump ahead to the song. Okay, I'm going to give the audience a second chance to prove to everybody that we actually have people in this room. Uh, this movie's about you. Welcome, guests. Make a noise. There, that's a little, oh, there we go. That sound, that's music to my ear. We are recording live at Le Rev Restaurant at uh, 2848 Dundas Street West in Toronto. Uh, and uh, this is uh, because of our great host. Every uh, once, once, a, once a month on a Sunday, we come down here, tape our shows because of Indira, who is the owner of the restaurant. Uh, thank you so much. The margaritas here are top notch, just so you know. And uh, also, uh, Indira is the singer of our theme song, written by my co-host and good friend, Louis Maroney, who I would like to introduce to you now. Louis. Thanks, Tom. You know, Tom, I was talking to my friend Larry on the phone the other day, and we got on the topic of the best steak we'd ever had. We both remember our own. Mine was at Manny's Steakhouse in Minneapolis. I don't think it's a moment you can forget. It's the one when you realize how good a steak can be. It surrenders to your knife just enough so you know it's solid. You taste it through your nostrils before it touches your tongue, and when it finally hits your taste buds, the texture of the meat against the sensory neurons of your mouth ushers in the epitomal party in your mouth. There is a downside, though, Tom. In my experience, I've never had a steak as good as that monumental one, and I've tried. I've chased that dragon, and it's eluded me. It's almost like the primordial nature of that first bite was part of the joy, and because you can only have your first one once, it's a lost cause from the start. Or you know what? Maybe I just haven't had that many good steaks in my life. Why do I bring this up? Well, our next guest has been a publicist for literally hundreds of authors and celebrate and celebrities for more than 20 years, and still is. He is also now a literary, literary agent at the Transatlantic Agency, specializing in books about food and the author of his second cookbook, Steak Revolution, which came out this month. Maybe he can solve this riddle for us, and if he can, maybe the answer will provide some insight into life's firsts in general. So, I'd like to welcome a rare guest to this movie's about you, Rob Firing. Rob Firing, everyone. Hi, Rob. Hello. Uh, th thank you for that introduction there, Lewis. That was very lovely. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I, I, a steak fanatic. I don't know if uh, fanatic's a word. Is that the word? Uh, I, I would enthusiast. say uh, enthusiast, uh, certainly obsessed. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's become such a regular part of my life that I decided to make it part of my career. 
So uh, that's thus the book. Okay, yeah, and the book looks beautiful, by the way. I have a hardcover uh, oh, version you. in front of me, which I think you took the photographs. I did. I took a, a 90, 95% of the photographs. Inclu oh, okay. What about the cover photo? That's mine. Wow. Because that, that is a good-looking steak. That, it is, it is it a very handsome steak. It almost looks like a steak pie. Yes. Well, that's a, that's a picanha, oh. which is a, a steak that's, uh, well, picanha is Brazilian. Um, I think it means um, the area of the cow that is branded. Oh. Yes. Um, and uh, that's the nickname for the, for the, for the steak. No, because it's branded, does it does it sort of like half cooked already? Uh, no, I don't. I <laughs> honestly don't think weird. it actually yeah. changes the, the taste, taste of okay. the steak, but um, but they like the, the the way it looks. They like the proportion of fat and right. And they have a, a unique way of cooking it on these sort of sword skewers, which is amazing. Yeah. And, they, and they always brand in the same place. I'm imagining. Generally speaking, yeah. they brand in the same place. It's close to the rump of the live beast. Yes, and you know what? It was I, I found it very interesting. They actually even. Touching, I would say, is that I was, uh, 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 you know, fortunate enough to be at your book launch for this for this book. Yes, and you gave a wonderful talk. And one of the things you thanked, or one of the uh, thank yous you gave, was to the cow itself. Yes, and I realized shortly uh, moments after I did that because I lost track of my notes that I thanked the cows before I thanked the publisher, which was oh. um, <laughs> probably not the not the not the right order, not the order I wanted. Yeah. Um, but yes, I I do have a lot of respect for cows and I uh, uh, I already had, but I gained um, more of that and I think the proper level of respect having researched steak so heavily. Um, and I think they're kind of underappreciated, and oh. uh, it's, it's led me to write an, another book, which I'm still writing and will be for a while. It's called Boss Taurus, which is the species of cattle that we all know and like here in the West as opposed okay. to Boss Indicus in India. And uh, Boss Taurus, How the Cow Changed the Course of Civilization. Wow. So it's not a cookbook in this it, case. It won't be a cookbook, no, no. that would be kind of like right. kind of a sad ending to that story. Yes. Um, uh, okay, well then let's talk about the narrative then. Uh, uh, your, your narrative of which you decide to choose was uh, a Big Night. Not a huge surprise to anybody who knows that you wrote a cookbook and who knows what Big Night is about. Right. So... Big Night is a story about two chefs who are uh, brothers, right? Yes. They're chefs, and they want to cook this amazing meal. Uh, remind me, is it a restaurant opener, or is it for a particular uh, it's, critic? It, uh, well, the, um, the restaurant, well, it's the restaurant's in New Jersey, and um, so uh, the restaurant across the street, I mean, it's great because it's in contrast to the restaurant across the street, which is run by another kind of restaurateur altogether who's into spaghetti and meatballs and whatever the public wants and celebrity endorsements. And uh, the restaurant that Stanley Tucci and, it, well, the character that he plays and his brother uh, open, the, uh, they are they're, they're just a, a, a cut way above. I mean, they both adore food and tradition. Um, you know, I think they're more recently from Italy, just a couple of years in the movie. And uh, the chef, uh, the, the older brother, is, um, I mean, he's, he is almost supernaturally good. And he has such respect and adoration for uh, cuisine and his traditions that he refuses to pander. He just won't pander. He says, you know, the customer should like what I cook and not the other way around. And, that's, and the story kind of unfolds, and it does unfold. I mean, it's, it's almost a tragedy. Uh, after that, from that point on, you know, it's a, it's actually an interesting point because I've always wondered: Are you, as the consumer going into a restaurant, 
is the consumer the one who should call the shots or is it the chef? Well, there is a relationship there. And, you know, I think a chef that ignores that relationship um, does so at uh, her or his peril. Um, that said, there should be some trust on the point of the consumer. The, I mean, the, the attitude when you go into a restaurant that you're curious about, or maybe even any restaurant worth its salt, is, is it's, it's a curated experience. You go, it's not, a menu isn't a list of ingredients. You go in and it's, it's their show, it's their presentation you go in to enjoy. It's not, you know, if you walked into a playhouse and, you know, they're playing Macbeth, you wouldn't say, hey, can you, can you say some Rodney Dangerfield lines? I mean, it, it, you know, it's the, the equivalent, it's the, you know, the, the, uh, the equivalent of pass the ketchup or, or, you know, can I have this without that on a menu? Um, it really should be up to the chef and up to the experience of the restaurant staff to give you a fantastic experience yourself. It is interesting, though, because as you say, you, I, I think that would be hilarious if there were Rodney Dangerfield lines in Macbeth. But you don't go into an art gallery and say, mm, I don't like this painting. Can you put in a, a Clint or something right. like that? So I understand that. But would you send a steak back? If you went to it, if it wasn't done the way you like it, uh, I I would. Um, I mean, I order steaks a lot less in restaurants, uh, funnily enough, uh, than I, than I used to. Uh, I used to cook steaks in restaurants, um, and you I, did? I, I I did. I used to cook steaks in restaurants. Yes. Let me, let's just stay there for okay, a moment, okay? okay. With, with like as a job, as a, as career, a job, as a before job. Before you entered the publicity, uh, I oh, no, sorry, publishing. Industry? Yes, I worked in restaurants until I was in my mid twenties, and then, I mean. Um, and I started when I was about 17. So that's okay. actually a fairly long time when you're that age. Uh, and I haven't worked since I was about 25 years old. I stopped that and did other things and moved into publishing and promotion and publicity. Um, but before that, I cooked in all sorts of restaurants and did everything in restaurants from washing dishes to, uh, to managing the place to um, bartending to, you know, being a waiter and cooking, of course. Well, where, what, what's that? Where's that in Toronto? Or? All of those were all of those were in Toronto. Yes. Okay, yeah. uh, now that that's interesting. So the, all, that sounds like we have our sort of foundation for you going into the movie Big Night and going, I relate to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I did. I mean, there were some shots of the of the kitchen which just made me more uh, emotional than I think, uh, or at least prepared me to for the emotions later in the movie because all movies are. are um, a little bit manipulative, yeah. uh, is just the shots of the kitchen. Uh, and, and it really brought me back to uh, myself looking at restaurant kitchens. And they don't have to be glamorous looking, and they, they usually aren't. Uh, and I was, you know, I was a, a ne'er-do-well philosophy student at university at the time, uh, working way more in restaurants than going to class, and thinking to myself, well, if I always did this, if this was the rest of my life, I, that would be okay with me. What about mom and dad firing? Were they okay with you doing that, or did they want to see that uh, philosophy student come out with a... Well, I don't think either of them, um, I don't think that uh, were excited by me being a philosophy student or, okay. or, yeah. or someone who worked in a kitchen or a restaurant. Um, and, you know, I talked to my parents, but really it was sort of, a, uh, you know, birthdays and holidays kind of thing. Right. Um, and they didn't come into the restaurant very often, but, uh, or restaurants, because there were, there were a few of them. And maybe even then they just, it was uh, like kind of a, a roulette, which restaurant to pop into and where we're walking. Right. Maybe and uh, they, were, they uh, are both good cooks, uh, especially my mom. She's, uh, she's a, a goddess in the kitchen. She's amazing. She can do stuff that I could never do, probably. 
Uh, and my dad is a huge um, Epicure. He's a great food appreciator. Oh, they got to love your direction now then. Oh, they yeah. like this. They yeah, like and this the a book lot. is great. And they're, yeah. they're, yes, they're, uh, they're you know, as proud as parents should be about this kind of were, thing. Were they, oh, yes, I met your mother. You did. I did. I forgot about that. That's Lovely right, lady. at the launch. Yeah, at the launch. That was good. Yes. Uh, um, uh, well, I, I hope she knows that you think that she's a goddess in the kitchen. Oh, yeah, she knows. Okay. I, I tell her. All right. That's very good. So, Big Night, w- when did you see this movie? Did you see it on the big screen? Yes. Were you a movie going? I was living in New York at the time, oh. uh, and I, I saw it with uh, with my stepmom, as a matter of fact. Uh, so I used to live in New York, and... Um, uh, and I saw it pretty much not opening night, but within the first week or two of it opening. And uh, it's a great audience to see that movie with because it's, yeah. it's a New York film and, um, you know, Stanley Tucci. And it was just, uh, you know, um, everybody's laughing and clapping and, you know, um, emotional at the right moments. But you're right. There, it is a tragedy, this yeah. movie. And set, yeah. but it's amazing to me how uh, the best tragedies, just like the best horror films, are often very funny. Yes, and this this is no exception. This right. is a the film is really really self aware, and there is humor all the way through, including in that first scene. Um, uh, it was quiet for so long because the sort of the the, the dangerous character, the restaurateur across the street, um, you just didn't know what he was going to do. Right. right, he slammed his fist down on the table, and it's like okay, because there's a lot of things that the audience knows uh, that the characters don't yet know. So it could be anything, and um, and of course he just loves the food so much. He, yeah, makes that. Comment. I think that's an amazing ploy uh, in in books or in a film when you let the reader or the audience in on something that uh, that your characters don't know because it, it creates a, a different kind of tension. It does. It's a wonderful sort of irony. I I, I really love it, and um, uh, it takes some artistry to pull that off yeah. properly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you saw this movie. There was two brothers in there. The oldest brother, who you thought or you say. Uh, was the uh, almost uh, uh, magically yes. uh, uh, blessed with yes. the, the and and the other brother who I remember correct me if I'm wrong was just slightly more grounded yes uh, yeah. and maybe a little more willing to play yes um, so we almost have an Anne Rand thing happening yeah here. yeah he was um, uh, the old the uh, the secundo was uh, was that brother that you're talking about and he was uh, much more willing to compromise he was also the guy that handled all the money. So he understood that, um, you know, and both films that we're going to refer to tonight have this. Um, they, have, uh, they, have a, they have kinds of contradictions in them. And one of the contradictions is that uh, cross-section between art, uh, and I'm including, uh, you know, uh, gastronomy and cuisine in art, um, where art and, uh, and commerce meet. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't always meet well. Um, and sometimes uh, a compromise has to be made. And, and that's the same with anything then, too. Like, I mean, if you're talking about clothes, if you're talking about, you know, there's always the commerce aspect, and then there's always the creative aspect right, of it. Right, um, And uh, I don't think people, maybe people don't often think of food as the artist. Yes. Right. Oh, no. You no, I want you to go well, out. I'm encouraging you. Oh, okay. You. Well, I was <clears throat> actually, and it's uh, along that strain, uh, usually you have the artist, and then you need... As you would very much know, you need that person advocating for the artist. Right. So often, it's it's very rare to have an artist that's also the commerce person. Yes. Yeah. You need a patron or a manager, or I mean, sometimes you do. There, there. You can you can try to be both, but it's really hard, right? It's hard to do either separately. Uh, I know a bunch of guys on both ends of that business, and um, 
to be both of those kinds of people is very, very difficult. But aren't you? I mean, uh, in in some way, uh, your your job that you uh, have taken, I mean, b- uh, before with the senior publicist at HarperCollins, not an easy task. Mm. Uh, other than the fact that you really do have great people to uh, to sell, yes. Uh, so your product is good, right? Uh, and then as a uh, writing your cookbook, then I suppose you, there's a certain amount of uh, publicity and uh, that you have to do, and there's money involved. Yeah. So uh, are you not both brothers? In well, some way? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, putting it that way, uh, to a certain extent, I really understand both brothers. Um, uh, you know, I mean, steak is because I am fairly obsessed with with steak. Uh, that's this is probably the only cookbook of this ilk that I could pull off. I don't think I could, you know, <laughs> write another one about fish or or eggs or or um, or something else. This is prob- that's probably it because I mean I um, uh, because I'm in touch with so much uh, talent. Right, I know a ton of chefs. Uh, I know a, a whole bunch of novelists and people that have written books about, you know, books are about anything. So you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of people of profile and they're all really quite talented. So I've lived on the periphery of all this talent for a really long time, mostly, in fact, almost exclusively as a kind of campaigner for them. So, uh, you know, I represent the talent and I try to, you know, uh, service things so that they can concentrate on, on, on their art. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, then the, is that what you're kind of referring to then too, like somebody to sort of uh, uh, champion the art? Yeah, I think um, yeah, and just the notion that like in Big Night, there's two physical people rep- that one is the artist and one is the promoter, mm-hmm. essentially. Yeah. And um, and I think that's usually how things go. I mean, there's so many stories of artists that you don't even know about until after they've been you know dead and gone, and somebody's discovered them. Um, because they didn't maybe have maybe they, they weren't uh, right for the times, but maybe they just didn't have the champion that they that they needed. See, that's what I was telling you about though earlier. You need your champion because we, I don't want you to be dead and gone before people discover your art. Thank you. Yes, uh, uh, that's just a sidebar. No, the no audience <laughs> knows what I'm talking about. Okay, good. Yeah, <laughs> at least I hope they do. Right. Uh, okay, let's move on to the the. Se- but I do want to say one more thing before we move on to the second clip. You know, I look. I was listening to we talk about how the personalities of each characters, etc., and how they influence and how they affect. I've always looked at film and books, for that matter, uh, like dreams that all characters represent one person in the end. Oh, inter- oh, yeah, Are I you know. referring to uh, what I think about dreams? No, well, because did you yes, know that that's yeah. what I think about dreams? Well, I that thought everybody thought that about dreams. Well, I, I don't know. Ar- archetypes is that what? Well, you're like referring you know, to dreams. When you dream, all the characters in your dream really represent you. Oh, I see. Different different facets of your personality. So I think in in a, in a film, uh, all the characters are those. There's more fingers in a film, uh, but uh, all the characters basically represent the screenwriter or the or the director, right? And the oh. novelist and books. Right. That's very interesting. Thank oh, you. and then also, uh, Rob, there was a scene. I haven't seen Big Night for a long time, but there was a scene in it that I always remember. It's a very like uh, genuine and 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 personal s- scene. I felt when one of the brothers is just cooking up an omelet. Yes, uh, that's, just they're they're in the kitchen. That's and the very end of the movie, right? Um, and that's yeah. that's what um, almost disqualifies it from being a full-on tragedy. What happens? I mean, there's in through the movie there are these great expectations, uh, uh, all sorts of potential is built up, and then every, all hell breaks loose. So uh, hearts are broken, uh, love is lost permanently. I mean, it doesn't come back or anything, um, and uh, dreams are are ruined, uh, shattered. 
Um, but in the end, those uh, the three people in that restaurant, that restaurant that was true to form and genuine to its art, um, those three uh, characters sat down together in their back kitchen and had a simply made humble breakfast together. Uh-huh. And so you know that life, in whatever form, mm-hmm. uh, will go on. You know, I'm hearing this, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, there's all these, this is going to sound like a way, I'm way out there, but I know what I mean at least, all these movies about hospitals and, and other things and lawyer, law offices, there's never been a good dramatic series about a restaurant, a dramatic series. I mean, we can't call mm-hmm. Flow or, or whatever. Uh, oh, the uh, diner. Uh, yes. Diner, uh, yeah. uh, what was that called? Um, but you're right. Yes. You're right. There I, hasn't been. Unless a we're series. mistaken, you're. I think that's a. Well, it's uh, something uh, to mull over. Yeah. It I'm is. Trying to think I think it. the three of us maybe could okay, collaborate well, let's on just, that. Let's get on that. Okay. Let's go to your second choice on your double bill. La baguette. Le couteau. Pas trop mince, mais pas trop épais. famous scene from that movie yeah Yeah. so maybe you can describe that for us there is a character in the mood uh, in the in the (laughs) movie um and he's in the mood too uh uh, and he is like a a french god right i mean i think there are there are two sort of god figures in the movie one is diva herself the opera singer and the other is this french guy who's uh you know really quite mysterious the movie takes place in in paris and um uh he's showing our protagonist uh uh, how to um, how to eat a baguette, basically. And it does look and sound like this wonderful thing. He takes this little knife, which has to be just the right size. He takes a uh, baguette, which is fresh, but not too, too fresh, because you want the crust to get a little bit hard, but the inside to be soft and fluffy and gooey. Uh, and uh, then he cuts it. He grabs the whole thing and cuts it right down its spine and then opens it up, uh, sort of butterflies it, and then spreads butter on it, which is the has to be exactly the right temperature, and then he gets this um, this can of which looks like beluga caviar, and spreads it on the on the baguette, and he's you know narrating instructions at the same time. Yeah, and there's a there's a bit of a uh, baguette um, uh, uh, emergency right now in the world, isn't there? Like the, is there, there? there, yeah. There, oh. I I don't know. I from what I understand, there's like the art of the true baguette is being lost even in France. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that is interesting. We, we must we must look into this. Well, I, I know that it was voted uh, some kind of food heritage um, thing recently. I'm maybe, not maybe surprised. A year There's ago or last like year. A, to, a real ultimately, I think that's to save the yeah. art so it doesn't get lost. Now, like so many things, like champagne, etc. Is there or Perrier? Is there a town called Baguette that only the real baguettes come from? Uh, no, there Rats. isn't. But a baguette, I think, is a largely yeah. Parisian tradition, and yeah. um, they it's it's of its shape and size because. Um, it was it could be baked very quickly, so that when um, uh, the, the Parisians uh, left work in the afternoon for their lunch, which was a, a long one, they had time to actually the bakers had time to bake it and give it to their customers, and so they could go and eat it. Wow! So wow. it has to be baked quickly. It's amazing how many really great, uh, sometimes expensive uh, uh, foods uh, uh, that we consider. Um, Delicacies uh-huh. had their have their source or, uh, or foundation in uh, 
really the working class. Yeah, I would say that almost all of the iconic dishes that yeah. uh, you know from the big food regions of the world in uh, Europe and Asia and um, the Americas uh, all I would like l- they largely came from um, you know the quote unquote peasants. Yeah, like um, who had to foods. Yeah, well I mean they had to, they had uh, I mean originally cuisine was defined by scarcity. Uh, they had uh, you know a limited ingredients um, and they didn't, you know, and they had to follow the season, so they didn't have them forever. So they created everything seasonally and as they could. So it was the art of the possible. Um, now it's it's pretty different. It's really defined by abundance. I think the opposite almost. Mm-hmm. So you have the, so cuisine has really sort of um, uh, um, been turned over in the last, uh, you know, hundred years. Yeah, be, being Italian, both my parents are from Italy, and I remember growing up hating polenta. I was like, oh. And now you, it's it's a delicacy. It's the trendiest thing That's ever. That's right. right? Yeah. yeah, we have polenta all the time. Do you? Yeah, you my make wa- it at my home. My wife loves it, and my daughter loves it. Yeah. Oh, great! Yeah, I just made it with my dad a few weeks ago for the first time in years, and my kids ate it for the first time, and they were. Do you do make it fresh or? Yeah, that we made it fresh on the stove. Okay, with, well, uh, did, yeah. Oh, yeah. We buy that sausage roll for stuff. Oh, oh well, you're talking creamy polenta, of course. Yeah, right? yeah. You're, you're talking uh, uh, refried polenta. Yes. Oh. Yeah, we used to, uh, you know, Both spread it on the. T- you used to spread it on the table, right? And you'd sit there, and you just take your section of polenta, and, and you'd have ragu on top. Yeah, you'd put. Yeah, you'd put sauce or whatever. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got to try that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. You got to Okay, will you write a cookbook about that? Okay. Yeah, right. I would I love just, that. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about Diva uh, and when uh, we asked when if uh, you saw a uh, big night at the big screen uh, uh, in a theater, How, what was your uh, contact with Diva for the first time? Uh, same thing. I used to uh, except I saw Diva in Toronto. I didn't uh, alas see it in Paris, though I would have loved to. Um uh, I was a member of the University of Toronto Film Club, and I don't. And I was, you know, I was I was a, uh, fourteen years old, probably. Um, the University of Toronto, you were fourteen. No, yes, I was a genius. Did I? Tell yes, you that yes, I'm also, thinking. I, worked, that I cooked steaks in restaurants. Well, didn't you say and the University of Toronto? Yes, yeah, I did. 14. I did. They, you, did, you didn't have to attend the university to oh, be a member of their yeah, film club. That so they just sound right. But okay. they just showed uh, films for the students and sometimes the faculty, I guess. And, but I can't uh, imagine there were many 14-year-olds that were part of the club. Uh, there were a group of us, a group of uh, pretty nerdy nice. guys. Uh, nerdy geniuses. <laughs> um, well, all nerds are genius in their own way. Really, right? really, yeah. Uh, we're definitely all geniuses here. So, um, and so, yeah, we went as a group, and um, uh, I saw a lot of movies there. And um, I saw Diva probably, we saw it over and over again. I mean, I saw it. It came five, out in 1981. Five or six, five or six times. Yes, and I think a big night was eighty two or eighty one. No, sure. actually later. 96. Later. Oh my gosh! Yeah, you're right. Of course, because yeah. I was, I was in, in New York. York. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Gosh, time flies. Well, yeah. that's interesting. Because what what made that group of fourteen year old? Uh, uh, now, were you were you a mixed group or you were were you all males? Or? Uh, we were uh, mostly uh, mostly boys. Uh, there were some girls. I mm-hmm. think there were maybe two out of seven. Say. Um, uh, I think we saw that one in particular because we were all uh, French. Uh, we, were, we were the uh, Frenchies of the uh, of the school. I went to a high school called Lawrence Park, and they had a French immersion program. Uh, and I'm originally from Montreal, and so that's where I was plonked when I moved to Toronto. And so uh, a lot of us um, nerdy French people hung out together. Yeah, the French aren't nerds. That, that they, they've uh, excluded them somehow. Uh, well, yeah, I mean... Um, 
it, on, on paper, if you yeah. didn't know they were French, they'd be nerds. Okay, that's right? true. But that's uh, true. You put anything. You put a French accent on. You know, you can say something in Paris, and it's like laundry in Paris. Well, that sounds amazing. I know, right? But laundry in Toronto doesn't sound amazing. Absolutely, I I, I agree with you. I think it's amazing though that this group of fourteen-year-old boys and two girls uh, um, went to uh, see this foreign film. Now, I'm going to be honest. I saw a foreign film a lot when I was a young man, boy. Because there was a chance of seeing nudity. That's, the, that's what drew right, me into right. the picture. Uh, and, and as I got, you know, I, and then what happened is I ended up starting to like the movies regardless. Right. Uh, but that's what drew me in. So what, what was it about uh, going to see Diva instead of going to see the next Star Wars edition or whatever? I, I think it, I mean, I didn't go to see the movie for this, but it, it, it kind of boils down to um, uh, one of the same reasons I like Big Night in that there is this ultra appreciation for art whatever it is and in this case it's opera um so much so that you know entire lives are changed the movie revolves around it people take great risks people die um just for because they like this so much and they get it um uh, diva is also partly about french culture in general uh, they um uh, you know they themselves the french um or and the director uh, Jean-Jacques Benix, I think is his mm-hmm. name. He, um, I mean, he builds this in. I think that's part of the, there's this joke too, because I mean, it's just like way too French in the 80s. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is 1980s Paris. And, and you have this one character who's kind of, rep- he's the god of French culture. And, he, you know, um, one of the, his uh, really, really rare, very rare, uh, one-of-a-kind Morgans of a certain vintage is destroyed. Um, but of course, has another one. And, and saves the day. Um, and he's just that kind of guy. And he's, you know, he's a, a recluse that lives uh, in top of a, a warehouse and smokes like a fiend and does jigsaw puzzles and, um, you know, eats baguette perfectly. Well, you, you know, you're not the first person to choose Diva on our show. Really? Yeah. So Susie, if you remember, oh, Susanna, the oh, singer. Yeah, oh, Susanna. Yeah. yeah she yes. had experienced yeah. it as a youth, a teenager out west. She lived in BC and she used to go to a movie theater. I can't remember the name of the movie theater, but... Oh, the Western it was, movie theater. It was her, yeah. It was her first experience of a foreign film and it kind of changed her life. It, 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 it get made, got her more, inv- more involved and obsessed with art as, yeah. as a, you know, as a... So a here's field. my recommendation as a companion piece to listen to this podcast. You go to listen to Oh Susanna's as well. Very good. Yeah, nice yeah. companion piece. Um, uh, you know what? You gave a wonderful description of the movie and and why the movie is worthwhile seeing. I still don't know if I've got the idea what made a 14 year old see that movie because those are great things. But I I don't. Yes, you know, 14. I would go. Eh, I don't know. I, I mean, well, it's it's I'm a different person yeah, now. But it's also. Um, it is. It's an adventure. I mean, unlike Big Night, which is kind of a you know, it's an internal tragic comedy, almost a family drama in a way. Um, uh, uh, Diva is this huge adventure, right? I mean, the protagonist is this young postie um, on a moped um, who sort of um, you know blunders into things um, and uh, ends up doing everything to try to save the day, and it brings in all these these this host of characters, and it's a it's a much more uh, riled up movie in in that way. It really is you this rollicking that, adventure. Though, no, in. I didn't. I didn't so, know it going in. Um, was it reviews or was it? Um, and it was just. It was really coincidence. Yeah. But then the movie captured me. Right. And yeah. as soon as, so the second time, I wanted to start to memorize it because I really, really liked it. So, uh, and we and you know, 
um, credit to all of all of the people that all the boys and girls that um, that signed up for this. We would all go a second and third time if we really liked a movie. We'd just go and see it again and again and again. Did that sort of make you uh, uh, part of a sort of a, uh, a, a, a clique of some sort? You're too young for it to be beatnik, but that's what I'm thinking of. Right. Sort of a, sort of this counterculture group that uh, uh, that was that could be defined by their taste of in artistry and things like that. Oh, may- maybe we certainly. Do. I mean, that is. Um I wish we could um, call ourselves something as glamorous as, as that or as authentic as that, but um, we certainly didn't self-identify as anything like that. We just did what we felt and what we, we thought. Um, you know, we were different than, than a lot of the rest of the high school, but but um, uh, I, I hope um, some of those people will be able to listen to this. Um, but uh, we, we, uh, And we were separate in a way. There were certain doors that you hung out at if you were a certain kind of person no at kidding. these high school. Do you, do you have this too, of course, well, or does no, that everybody? We had a smoking compound, which the smokers hung out. Yeah, we called it the yeah. smoke hole. Oh, we had, oh, yeah. we had many. It was a big school, mm-hmm. probably uh, 1,500 people. So we had... Um, all doors were the smoking doors, but really yeah. you had the uh, the north parking lot doors. Uh, that's jocks, uh, cheerleaders, and sort of the mainstream, and that was the most crowded. Then you had the drama doors, which uh, for a while I was a member of because yeah. we did things like that, plays and things. Then you had the middle doors, which were the entrance to the school. No one goes in there unless you're a grown-up. Uh, and then you had uh, the freak doors, which I frequented most. And then you had the stoner doors, and the stoner doors were the person, people who still listened to um, the Beatles and the Stones and smoked marijuana. Oh. Um, which door would you be at, uh, Lewis? Uh, I, had, I, w- I would have been at, at, a, mix, at a mix of uh, doors. I, I, too. I am yeah. very social. I would have wandered around all the doors. Right. Yeah. Hey, uh, I, I had a question, oh. uh, Rob. If you were, if Diva, sorry, if the movie theater was a restaurant... And Diva was the meal you ordered. Oh, my God. What did, what did you think you were getting, and what did the chef do differently? Oh, my God. What a great question. Ask me that someday. I will. Okay. Um, okay. That, that's a complicated question. I, uh, so <laughs> right, right near the tail end of the podcast. Right. So Diva is the restaurant? No, the Diva's movie theater is the restaurant. You've ordered Diva from the, from the menu. Right. And you think you're getting something, but the chef's done something unexpected. So is this still a movie, or is it food? Well, I'm kind of drawing a parallel here to what we what we were talking about earlier right. when you were saying, well, what's the responsibility of the chef oh, in trying to serve oh, a food a meal Those to someone? His job is to sort of make everything come full circle. I see. Well, um, I what I like uh, about um, having a meal in a restaurant that I'm curious about is is the unknown. I, I, I love being a little bit surprised. Um, if you get exactly what you want, unless it's, even when it is exactly what you want, it's, it's only satisfying if it, it's, it, if it transcends what you thought you were having, right? I right. mean, um, you know, if someone was able to serve me a really outstanding steak, I mean, I haven't been surprised uh, by a steak in two years but that I've had in a restaurant, and I had to go to Spain to find that one. Um, but... Um, uh, I would, you know, uh, especially Diva, I, I would say that um, uh, serving something that is iconically and traditionally, let's say, French in this mm-hmm. case, um, but it was done in such a way that just, you know, made your eyes pop out of your head. Um, I think that's a great answer. And I think your question also might be sort of what I was going for is, as a 14-year-old, when you went to this particular restaurant and you ordered Diva, why did you order it? Yeah. Right. Yes. 
Um, well, you know, um, like, why do you fall in love? Uh, it's oh. it's really, it's really, it it hits you, right? It's not, you're really barely making a decision at that point. <laughs> um, you just follow. And that movie, and both of those movies, but they're, you know, just magical, really, really magical. And it, um, before you know it, you're uh, you're under its spell. But uh, that's a very French answer. Uh, I would have said there an is. Italian answer too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Not Canadian. Um, thank you very much, oh, my Rob. Pleasure. You know, we have some books here to give away, and mm-hmm. I, my my gut feeling is the, half our audience left. <laughs> Not because of Rob or anything. They we had something to do, and so I'm thinking maybe we give these away on uh, on uh, to listeners. You think maybe? Well, I think that somebody in the audience should get. Should oh, get you a do? Book. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think that. Well, it's, how are we going to do that? Well, I think that we will. Um, here's what's going to happen. Don't give it to the guy with the blue shirt. I got. I have my hands behind my pot yeah. behind my back. Yeah. One hand represents uh, one table, and the other hand represents another table. And Rob's going to pick one of my hands, and then that's going to be the table that gets the book. But there's more than one, two tables. Well, this is I've chosen two tables. Oh, 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 to to be hands. Oh, okay. So right off the bat people have been eliminated. Right, you've eliminated some yeah. people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if that's fair. But go okay. ahead. All right. So go ahead, Rob, choose, choose one of my hand. hands. Well, I'm going to choose your left hand. My left hand. I have okay, a joke so about that. Okay, so congratulations <laughs> over there. You've won a uh, <laughs> you've won Rob's uh, cookbook <laughs> on steak. How to Look at that. Come yeah. on up and get one of Rob Firing's cookbooks. You thought you were just getting a Mexican meal today. Come on up. Yes, you still aren't sure about this. Yeah. There's a huge surprise. Look at this. And this is the author. Hello. Hello. Pleased to meet you. (laughs) Oh, good. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you're not a vegetarian. (laughs) Are you a vegetarian? No? No. Okay, good. Oh, good. I'm a huge foodie. Oh, good. Oh, perfect. Fantastic. Excellent. I hope you're enjoying your meal here at La Rev. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. What's your name? Sophie. Sophie. Very good. Thank you so much, Sophie. Enjoy your book. Uh, congratulations to Sophie. That was actually. Yeah. No, I'm glad you did that. Yeah. Well, yeah. there we go. <laughs> no, she's kidding. All right. I've never seen an audience member so happy. Uh, Rob, thank you once again. My we pleasure. have two this was books. A lot of fun. Thank you. I knew it would be. I, I, mean, I, I can sort of say uh, Rob's a, a, a friend, and I've been looking forward oh, to Rob, a long time. Uh, photo. Rob. Okay. I could talk while I'm getting my okay. picture taken. Right. All right, audience, we're getting our picture taken with Sophie. Okay, great. Um, so we have another book or two books to give away to pe- listeners. And uh, they can do that by the first two people who, who email us. Yeah. Right. Sounds good. And then we'll, we'll send you off a cookbook. So, Rob, is there anything else you want people to know about c- upcoming events? or oh, Where, where uh, can they find your book? It's in stores now. It ju- like it just came out last week. So... It's uh, it's sitting on the shelf. Uh, uh, hopefully, um, a shelf of depleting copies. Yeah, of, of wouldn't the book. that be nice? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, go and get it now. It's, it's a beautiful uh, it's book. Congratulations! Yeah. It is beautiful, and just the right time, right? Barbecue season. Barbecue and all? season. Father's mm-hmm. Day. Yeah. Oh, the title. Rob We've, Firing Steak Revolution. Yes. Steak Revolution. We did not say the title throughout the entire okay. interview. Okay. Steak I, Revolution. Yeah. I hope you listen to the entire interview. Yes. Okay. And. Um, Lewis, yep. anything to tell us? Uh, yeah, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash thismoviepod yeah. uh, and um, on Twitter at thismoviepod or uh, Tom at uh, real, R-E-E-L, Tom, mm-hmm. T-H-O-M is how he spells his name, and then Ernst as, as in... As in Max Ernst, the artist. Yeah. Whoever. Yeah. yeah. I have no relation to him, but that's how... 
things work out. Yeah, and hopefully the iPod's working. I'll, I'll, I'll be able to play the uh, theme song on your way out when you remind people. Oh, yes. Remember, one good movie deserves another.